Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Phil Rochard as he preaches from the lectionary, which this week was Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. As always, you can find more information or sermons at our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Is this going to be on the test? That has to be one of the, the top three, I don't know, maybe the bottom three questions uh, that teachers are asked in the course of teaching. Is this going to be on the test? Because uh, when that question is asked by a student, it becomes clear that the end result is what matters most and that the process of interchange that can come about with learning is not close at hand. Uh, and I was trying to remember this past week if I ever actually asked that question aloud in a class. I don't think I did. But I know on more than a few occasions I wondered it. I, I think it's not uncommon uh, to wonder this uh, is this going to be on the test especially when you are orienting yourself towards a degree or an award and uh, i think that that's what was well something was on the heart and mind of this scholar of the law what we're told uh, a lawyer asked jesus uh, to test him and it's, well, it's also kind of understandable because um, what he's asking about here is uh, one of the bigger questions of existence, especially for those of us who follow this way. What am I orienting my life towards? But often when we ask those big questions, we focus solely on that end result and forget the fact that the way we live our lives is what actually gets us there. And that big questions often beget other questions. So uh, when this scholar of the law approaches Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The, the answer of Jesus is the answer of many teachers. Well, what do you think it is? What do you read in the law? And so the scholar says, well, and he pulls from the book of Deuteronomy and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he pulls from a different book, this time the book of Leviticus, and says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in one of the very few instances, I cannot remember uh, more than a couple times when Jesus actually says, you're right. That's it. You have read it right. 
Do this and you will live. But the scholar of the law just can't help himself. Um, I'm not quite sure if he's wanting to make sure, can he test Jesus, really wants to get him, or could it be that he was one of those kids in class that always had the right answers and wanted to prove that he knew? He could have just walked away, but he didn't. And he asked the question, now famous, who is my neighbor? And I'm really grateful that the scholar of the law asks this question of Jesus, because it's a question that we have been trying to answer ever since, and frankly, one that we often avoid. And I'm grateful because I think we see in this scholar of the law something that many of us struggle with, which is that I am all good with loving my neighbor as myself as long as I get to choose who is worthy and who is not. It is so much easier that way. I think we all struggle with this uh, attempt to, to narrow or limit what we mean by neighbor. And so, uh, Jesus then tells a story. And uh, it's a story that I think um, many of us are familiar with. Um, if you have even a passing glance of Christianity in this country, whether it's uh, practiced or cultural for you, you've come across this story or allusions to this story dozens and dozens of times, you know what happens next. A man is walking on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a wilderness road, and he um, is set upon by robbers, and he is stripped of his clothes, and he is beaten, and he is left for dead. And by chance, three people walk past. First a priest, and then a Levite, and then a Samaritan. And again, you, you know how this story goes. Um, it is the outsider. It is the perceived enemy. It is the Samaritan who comes near and at great personal risk offers him compassion. I've come across this story many, many times. And every time I encounter this story, I get to a part and I say, really, Jesus? That guy? Those who have been around All Souls for the last couple years have probably heard uh, Maggie or Emily or me uh, cite that 
many households of this parish, well over 40, have left the Bay Area uh, to move to parts elsewhere, to Texas and to Florida, to Michigan, West Virginia, Oregon, and the great state of Washington. And one of those folks is Caroline McCall, who serendipitously is here among us today. And Caroline uh, moved to Spokane to take a position on the bishop's staff there in the diocese. And as she moved to Spokane, she was looking for a place to live. And she knew that living in Spokane was going to be different than living in the uh, competitively progressive political area that we call the Bay Area. Uh, that there is a wider spectrum, a much wider spectrum of political belief in Spokane. And so she wondered, what is this going to be like? Uh, and maybe there could have been a little anxiety there about how she was going to be in relationship with the people around her. So one of the things she did was she decided, well, when I find a house, I'm going to walk around that neighborhood and see what it's like. And so she did. She put an offer on a house and walked around the neighborhood and saw, um, well, she saw some bumper stickers, uh, one of which was an anti-abortion bumper sticker that said, Save the Babies. And she realized that she was not in Kansas anymore. And as she was making her way past the house directly next to the one that she was to buy, she saw that family in their front yard. And one of the members of the family waved hello to her. And so she went over and said, well, I'm actually moving into the area and I'm looking to buy the house next door and uh, we might be neighbors. And so he said, well, I'm Andrew, and what do you be doing here in Spokane? She said, well, actually, I'll be working as part of the Episcopal Church here on the bishop's staff. And he said, no kidding. I am a youth pastor at a non-denominational church in town. Now, for those who are versed in the Christian spectrum in the United States, like Caroline is, you might know that uh, Andrew just placed himself on a very particular part of the spectrum, both theologically and politically. And that part of the spectrum is very, very, very far from where Caroline is. And so, in conversation recently, I asked Caroline, did she feel some resistance there what was that like? And, and she said that she knew moving to Spokane was going to be different and that there were going to be people who were very different than her politically. And she was actually kind of wondering what that would be like, especially in a place where there is winter. Um, and you have to rely on the people around you in a way that you just don't have to here in the Bay. And she also reflected on the fact that she was actually longing for relatedness and that her experience of neighbors here was that they were largely very unneighborly and it had nothing to do with their political affiliation. 
so it began slowly at first, um, conversations about what to plant and uh, what was going to happen in their yards, and it then grew from there, um, sharing us some veggies, and then uh, a couple of meals, and at those meals, the beginnings of conversation, like real true conversation, but not trying to convert one another, trying to listen to one another, and be okay when there is real difference, but being willing to be related. And over time, uh, the kids came over to pick her vegetables, and she became a regular at their potlucks on holidays. And they found that in these acts, over time, they actually became neighbors. Now, Caroline knows that there are still places, both theologically and politically, where they are very, very far apart. And recently, when um, Camille and Andrew were talking about their emergency plan with their kids, they decided if there's an emergency and they're not around or something happens, the place of safety that they're supposed to go to is Caroline's house. And then, this is the part that when you come across stories like this, you might think I'm making this up. And I'm really grateful that Caroline is here to let you know that I'm not. <laughs> they recently had to replace their fence between their yards. And they put in this new fence, but didn't realize that when you put in a six-foot-tall fence, it's really hard to talk across your fence to your neighbor. And so they have a plan for that. At a time when the issues that divide this country, the issues that are tearing us apart, are issues that Caroline and her next-door neighbors disagree about, they're planning to tear down a section of their fence and replace it with a fold-up picnic table so that they can fold the table down and they can eat together. You see, being a neighbor is about behavior, not belief. Being a neighbor is not about cultural identifiers, it's about tangible actions. The 20th century theologian and martyr Martin King used to preach with this story of the quote-unquote Good Samaritan a lot. And as he would teach it, he said that there was, um, there was different questions that people were asking themselves. The priest and the Levite were asking the question, am I going to be hurt by helping this man? Whereas the Samaritan was asking, what will happen to this man if I don't help him? You see, the religious scholar came to Jesus with one question, and he asked another. The religious scholar asked, 
who is my neighbor? But through the course of the story, Jesus' question became, who acted like a neighbor? And this isn't just um, interpersonal, though it absolutely is. It is also communal and collective and national and international. And it is not easy, especially when there has been uh, damage done, when there has been collective damage done. It becomes profoundly challenging, this work of being neighbor. Because neighborless, neighborliness lives in mercy and companionship and compassion. And it is found both in um, the collective action that is taken and the absence of neighborliness is in the collective inaction. It's what we heard from the prophet Amos earlier today. There are consequences when we do not behave like neighbors. And that's why when we started um, gathering funds to do this campaign to do capital improvements on our buildings, we have also decided to give away 10% of all that we gather so that we can be neighbors. We're calling it the Isaiah Project, and we're listening to the call of the prophet Isaiah when he writes that we are to be repairers of the breach and restorers of the streets to live in. We want to be neighbors. And that is but one way. There are so many ways to be a neighbor. Uh, you just you really don't have to look far in any direction in your life in this community to find somebody who has been left by the side of the road, literally and proverbially. And God knows there are many reasons why when we come upon that person, we move to the other side of the road. And. To be a neighbor, to come close to this life eternal now and forevermore is to behave like one.